saddest things in your life and mine is to watch a relationship fall apart, to watch a relationship fizzle out. And and all of us on varying levels have experienced relationships that didn't make it. Some of you grew up in homes where your parents didn't stay together. And you navigated going in between houses and you navigated um, separate holidays, and you navigated maybe even playing in between your parents and being the go-between, and you figured out how to, how to run in between them and how to get your way and how to pit them against each other. All of us have had friendships and, and relationships that, that just fizzled out, that just ended. We've had relationships that just kind of, we lost touch for different reasons. We grew apart. Things changed. Maybe right now, you have a relationship that if you take a step back, you can see the beginning phases of it ending. And it's hard. And it's, and it's hard when it happens in our life. It's hard when we watch it happen with people who we're close to. It's especially hard when you can see it coming a mile away in your own life or somebody else's life. And here's the thing. Most of us, when we look back on relationships that have fallen apart, or if we look at relationships that are kind of hitting a wall right now, if you and I were having coffee and I said, hey, tell me about that, the beginning of your answer would probably be about the other person. Well, Josh, let me tell you about my teenager. Man, my teenager. My husband, my wife. Let me tell you about my parents. And rightfully so. And the reality is, in every single relationship, The other person bears responsibility for how things play out. But we've said this before. You're not responsible for the other person. You can't change the other person. You can't change anybody in your life. You can't make anybody do something in your life. You can't nag somebody enough. You can't slam enough cupboard doors in the kitchen to make anybody do anything. You can't change anybody, only yourself. Now, here's the reality as we're going to look at at this passage today, a passage that has a lot in it that is actually very hard to navigate through. In this passage, Paul lists out things that not only destroy relationships, but also things that make relationships great. He has two sides of the coin. Now, in this list, there are these two lists, you will see things that the other person is doing. And here's the thing, let's just be honest for a second, okay? Okay. It's a whole lot more fun to point out brokenness in other people. Let's just all agree. Like, it's way more fun. It's so much more fun to tell somebody else that they're wrong. Like, I love, I I mean, it's so much more fun to tell somebody else that it's their fault. That's way more fun. It's so much more fun to be on the receiving end of an apology than to be the one who has to apologize. Right? It's way more fun. This is why we're so good at it. This is why we're so good at seeing what's wrong with other people. This is why it's so good. This is why if you're married, you know the 10 things that your spouse needs to do to be a better spouse. You know what they are. I mean, you don't even need to research them. You don't need any time to make that list. You already have it. You know the 10 things that your teenager needs to do 
to just be a better teenager. You already know what it is. Teenagers, you know the four things, this is probably like 55 things, that you wish your parents would do. And they would be better parents. And half of them are things that your friend's parents are doing. So it's so much easier to see things in other people's lives. It's so much easier. But in every relationship, you're responsible for your half of the relationship. You're responsible for the things that you bring into the relationship. And there are some things that you're bringing into your every relationship that you have that have the potential to destroy that relationship. And here's the thing. The thing that can destroy your marriage, your family, your friendships, your community are actually things in you. The things in you. Because everything that we're going to see today, everything that you do, everything that ends up destroying a marriage or family or a friendship starts in you and moves out. And so this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. He says in verse 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so Paul says, within every single one of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, is a battle. There's a battle inside of every single one of us uh, of this, this battle for the flesh of what he calls, of our natural desires of what we want to do and the battle of the spirit. Now, we, we see this in cartoons. Like you see this in Disney cartoons all the time with like the, the demon on one side and the angel on the other. That's the battle in you. Now think about it like this. Many times we'll have this idea where we'll just say, well, yeah, but, but Josh, like people are basically good. Like, people are born good. I don't know that there's a battle inside of us. Like, people are born basically good. Do me a favor. Raise your hand if you've ever had to teach a toddler to say no. Anyone, did you ever have to teach a child to say mine? Any, anyone? Did you, ever, did you ever stand in a store and look at your kid and just say, you know what, like, that's actually a pretty weak temper tantrum. Let me, let me show you a better way. No, I mean, I mean think about it. Like, what were to happen if you took two toddler boys, okay, two three-year-old boys, put them in a room with no toys, and gave them one truck? You're going to find out, like, which one of those boys has a future in MMA. Like, that's what you're going to find out in that moment. Now, the reality is, is every single one of us has a battle within us. Now, here's what you need to understand. So many times I'll hear this from parents. Yeah, I just don't understand why my kid does this. I don't understand why they keep doing this or keep doing this or keep doing this. I just don't understand. What Paul is saying is there is a chance that your child who keeps doing the same thing again and again that frustrates you is not a follower of Jesus. Okay? There is a chance that as you look at the people in your life and say, I don't understand why they keep giving into this battle. I don't understand why they keep doing this. Why don't they feel bad about this? Because they're not following Jesus. And so Paul says there's a battle in us, and here's, here's how this battle plays out. The moment that you feel tempted in something, the moment you feel tempted to click on that link, the moment you feel tempted to buy something you can't afford, the moment that you feel tempted to eat, you know, that third or fourth dessert, the moment that you feel that, if there is a pause, if there is just a hesitation, that is the battle that Paul is talking about between the flesh 
and the Spirit. That moment when you go, Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I could take that back. That moment, that's the battle right there. That's the battle right there. And all of us have this. And, and as we saw last week, that battle often comes from your family of origin. It comes from the things that you know. It comes from the people that you've already interacted with. It, it comes passed down. And that battle is a controlling aspect of your life. This battle where, where we gravitate towards one thing or this other thing. And Paul uses this word desire, which is really important. The, the Greek word for me means an over-desire, an all-controlling drive or a longing. Now, here's some of the longings that we have in life, how they play out relationally. We have a longing to be in control. For some of us, our, our over-desire, our over all-encompassing controlling drive is to be in control of every aspect of our life. That's mine. I I love control. Control is the most amazing thing that I can go after. And and I have sacrificed lots of relationships in my life to have control. And you know what's at the other end of getting that control? None of the control I hoped I would get. It's not as great as I thought it would be. Some of us, while you're judging me, I'll, I'll tell you how we can judge you. Some of you, your control, your over all-encompassing drive is to be loved and accepted. And here's how you know. How many regrets do you have in your life that you went after to be loved and accepted? And some of you are going, I just don't care if people like me. Do you know why? Because you're about power. You'll do whatever you can for power. For others... Your, your desire, your all-encompassing drive is comfort. I just, I just want comfort. I just, I just want things to be peaceful. I don't want people to fight. Now, think about these power, control, comfort, approval. In and of themselves, they're not bad. But what happens when they become an all-encompassing longing and drive? Will you destroy relationships? You for sure end up with some regrets. You have some relational scars to show for it. The other person didn't do what you hoped they would do. See, we go after these things. Why? Because this is our natural desire. This is what Paul says when he says the desires of the flesh are your natural desire. The thing you do without thinking. The thing that you do when you're tired. The thing that you do when you're bored. And in relationships, there's this battle. Now, now here's what is so easy to think, as, as I said earlier, as we read through this passage. We can see the battle in everybody else. Right? Almost all of us, the people who are closest to us, you could tell me what their battle is. But Paul wants us to see our battle because you're not responsible for them. You can't change them. You can't send them this sermon and have them think, man, you know what? I'm so glad they, find, they sent me that sermon. I was just waiting on that. You can't highlight a book and leave it out for them, like underneath the TV remote, like for them to read. Like that's not going to change them. All of us have this desire, and here's how this battle plays out. Paul tells us what the works of the flesh look like. He says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, 
jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before, but that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? The works of the flesh, he says, are natural desires, so things that we naturally go after. This is also ways to see whether you're not, you're in the spirit and, and following after Jesus or if you're in the flesh and not. He says they're obvious. And he starts off with ones like, oh yeah, we'd be like, oh, sexual morality, yeah, sexual impurity. And then he starts to go to envy, drunkenness, carousing, selfish ambitions. And then I love how he ends with anything similar. Like, so anything else that you can think of that I did not put on this list. So anybody who's like, well, you know what? I only do like two of those. So I'm, I'm probably okay. Like, I'm, I, you know, maybe God grades on a curve. He doesn't. And Paul says, so like anything that you can think of that is just similar than that. Now, some of us, like if you follow like culture wars and stuff, like you've seen people like holding up signs, you know, sexually immoral people go to hell. I would love for the sign to say jealous people go to hell because that's on the list too. Now, here's the thing. You've envied somebody already today. You've already done that. All of us have. We've already been jealous of somebody today. And it's not even 11 a.m. Now, here's a couple. Let me, I want to highlight a couple that I think play out in relationships that are really important. The first one on this list is sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality means anything outside of the bounds of marriage between a man and a woman sexually. Okay? That, 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 anything outside of those bounds. Now, that includes lusting, impurity, debauchery, porn, flirting with somebody you're not married to, sexting with somebody that, that you're not married to, fantasizing about somebody you're not married to. Now, here, here's the thing. We have all watched relationships be destroyed by this. You've maybe had relationships destroyed by it. This shows up in your life. Do you have a guardrail around it? Do you have a guardrail around it? And here's what I'll hear from a lot of guys. Yeah, but like, I, I can handle it, Josh. No, you can't. If you're a parent, do you have a plan about how you're having conversations with your child, with your student about sexuality? Do you have a plan? Because make no mistake, everybody around them has a plan. Everybody around them has a plan. Studies now say that the average age of seeing porn for the first time is eight. Eight. When you give your child a phone, do you have a plan? Here's, here's a way to, to know if you have the right plan. If your child likes your plan, it's the wrong plan. Okay? Okay? Now, for a parent who struggles with approval and just wanting to be loved, that's really hard. Do you know what I hear almost every single day from my kids? Yeah, do you know what my friend's parents do? I don't care. 
But so many times as parents, we just hand our kid a phone, we just hand them a computer and be like, well, you know, like, figure it out. Like, you know, just don't be stupid. They're teenagers. You were stupid as a teenager. And, he, and here's the thing. I, I'll just, I'll be honest. So I, I've shared a little bit of my story before. So when I was 11 years old in sixth grade, I went to a, a sleepover. This is 1990. That's how old I am. And at this sleepover, um, there were four sixth grade boys, and the dad brought down a box, cardboard box, just threw it on the ground. And he said, well, it's time for you guys to learn about this. And he went back upstairs. And inside was just videos, magazines, just a whole bunch of porn. I'd never seen it before in my life. I was, I was blown away that this even existed. And from 11 on until the first year of our marriage, porn was an incredibly driving force in my life that almost destroyed our marriage in the first year. So when you go onto my phone or my computer, there's restrictions everywhere. Katie has my passwords to everything. Like I always joke that she could just erase my life and like take all the money and leave. Why? Because I, I don't want to do anything to destroy my family. But here's the thing. We'll, we'll watch things. We'll, we'll pull things up and be like, well, you know, like it's, not, it's not a big deal. Tell that to the person on the other side of that relationship. And so make no mistake, if you don't have a plan about everything on this list, sexual immorality, debauchery, jealousy, strife, envy, hatred, outbursts of anger, If you don't have a guardrail around it, if you don't have a plan around this, the, this list is our natural tendency. This is what we'll do. And I know, I'll, I'll just say this to parents. I, I know it's, it's really awkward to talk to your kids and it's really not fun. But they actually want you to have some conversations with them. They want to know what to do. They, they don't know. They don't know. And I tell my kids this all the time. One of the things, we have lots of mantras in our family. I love quotes. And one of our mantras is that one decision will not make your life. Like you will not make your life with one decision. But you can wreck your life with one decision. And almost all of us, if we look back on our lives, some of our biggest scars are around sexuality. And why do we go after it? Power, control, comfort, approval. Here's another one that shows up in relationships that Paul talks about. Strife, hatred, outbursts of anger, factions, dissensions. Do you know where this shows up in, in a lot of families and relationships right now? Politics. Politics. Over the last several years, you you and I have lost friendships because all of a sudden we saw what so-and-so posted on Facebook and Twitter and we're like, oh, you're that person. Oh, that, that's who you are. Now, I remember growing, when I was growing up, when it came to politics and, and parties, we, we voted Republican or Democrat, but now we are that. So our identity is that. In fact, more and more people, according to studies, find their identity in a political party more than they do in their faith in Jesus. Now think about it like this. 
you and I have watched families and friends splinter because of politics. You've been on the verge of leaving some relationships because of politics. You've probably been frustrated. You've probably sat there in disbelief and thought, what in the world? How could you believe that? You've probably looked at people that you care about and thought, how can you? There's no way you can watch that. There's no way you think that that's okay. On both sides, no matter which side it is, you've thought that. I've thought that. I've heard people and I thought, that's not true. That, there's no way that that's true. But can I tell you something? Biden, Trump, whoever you like, whatever party you follow, whatever TV show you love, whatever your favorite podcast is that you, know, you just share with all your friends and just email it out to everybody. Do you know what? When, when you're dying, none of those people are going to show up. Like at all. Like they're not going to come into the hospital room and sit next to your bedside. They're not going to say nice things about you or tell stories at your funeral. None of them are. And yet, do you know what we're willing to do? We're willing to end some lifelong friendships because of it. We're willing to split up some families because of it. Now, is it easy to be in a relationship with somebody who has a deeply held belief that is in opposition of yours? No. But following Jesus in relationships isn't supposed to be easy. Right, and I can already see it in my kids. I can already see how like, this is going to start to play out in their lives. But in this list, look at this list again. Sexual immorality, promiscuity, hatred. How do they show up in your most important relationships? And not the other person. Not... How do they show up in your heart? Which one of these things can destroy your most important relationship? And, and if you don't have a guardrail around that, you can expect it to destroy your most important relationships. See, and on the Connect card that Chris mentioned, if you check the Next Step email box, we're going to send you tomorrow just a, a way to start to figure out what is it that could destroy my most important relationships? How do I know what that is? And, and how do I place some guardrails around it? Now, we've spent almost this entire time talking about what can destroy relationships. But Paul doesn't leave us there. Paul doesn't just say, here are the things that can destroy relationships. He tells us in verse 22 how to protect them and build future relationships that last. Look at verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So he says, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, notice he doesn't say fruits, okay? Because here's one of the things that happens when we look at this passage. Some of us think that we get an out because we're not naturally good at it. Okay, some of us think, well, you know, I'm not naturally a patient person, so I don't have to do that. That's not what Paul says. He says, all of these are the fruit. All of these. You don't get to say, well, you know what, like, I'm more of kind of like a, I'm a debater, so I'm not really like a kind person. I like to debate things. Paul says, all of these are the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is important. If you're a follower of Jesus, these things, this list, should be true of you, 
should be things that you desire to have true of you, should be things that you're growing in. You should have plans as to how you're planning to grow in these things because Paul tells us they're fruit. What happens with a fruit? Fruit grows. Fruit grows, but it grows in the right environment. It grows in the right environment. And the reason some of us don't have the right environment, why? Like you've killed houseplants. And you're like, well, that's not the right environment. Fruit grows in the right environment with the right soil, the right fertilizer, the right things around it. But growth is also gradual. Right? We were out on a walk the other day, and our youngest, Nehemiah, found a crab apple. And we, he brought it home, and he said, hey, can I, can I plant this? I said, yeah, that's fine. He waters it every day. He goes out every day looking to see if anything's growing yet. And, and the other day, he was like, hey, let's go check out my crab apple tree. So we walk out, and we're just standing there. He's like, where is it? I said, well, growth takes a while, buddy. Here's what happens when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, is we look at it and we go, why am I not better yet? Why am I not more loving yet? Why am I not more joyful yet? Why am I not more patient yet? Why am I not more good yet? Why am I not more kind yet? Why? Because growth is gradual. Growth is gradual. You should be able to look back on your life and say, in the last year, I have become more like Christ. I look more like Christ today. I am more loving, more joyful, more patient today than I was a year ago. It's gradual. There will be days that you go out to look at the plant and go, has anything happened? But it's gradual with the right environment, the right soil. But again, we don't get to say, I'm just not this. And these things... These things are the, the other side of the coin of the list that, that Paul gave us. These things are how we fight against the first list, right? Because when we have love, when we have joy, when we have peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness, that's the antidote to, to hatred, to sexual immorality, to promiscuity, to drunkenness. So I want you to think for a moment, in your most important relationships, as we look at this list, what are the things that it needs? And I want you to imagine, what if your most important relationships, if these were true of it? Love. Love is serving the other person, choosing to love them. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Love is not a feeling that overwhelms you that you can't explain. Like when people say, oh, you know, Josh, you just can't choose who you love. What they're telling you is I'm about to go sin and wreck my life. Love is a choice. There are days that you wake up, if you are married and you have kids in your friendships, that you wake up and you're like, I am choosing to love this other person today because there is no feelings here whatsoever. Love is a choice that is followed by an emotion. Love is the opposite of fear. It, it, it doesn't abuse people. It doesn't hurt people. It seeks the best for the other person. Love does not say what's in it for me. Love doesn't say, let me tell you all the things that I've done for you. That's not love. Joy. Joy is not a blind optimism, but it is not wallowing in self-pity and pessimism. But joy is seeing the good in every situation that you face. Joy is grounded in the promises of God. Joy is grounded in the promises of God, not your circumstances. Not your circumstances. Peace. 
Peace is having confidence in God while everything in your life crashes down. Peace replaces our worry, our apathy, our not caring about something. Peace also means striving for contentment and unity in relationships. Some of our relationships need some peace in it right now. Like, we're really good at fighting. But you notice how these combat the things that Paul already told us. Because if you love the other person, do you want to cheat on them? If you love the other person, do you want to, do you want to be unfaithful to them? If you strive for peace, do you see how that combats our hatred and our strife and our dissensions and our factions? Kindness. Kindness is serving others practically, being vulnerable, opening your life up to other people. It's not being envious. It's being able to rejoice when somebody else succeeds. It's being able to look at the other parent and say, man, that's so great that your kid got a full ride scholarship to 15 of their first choice schools. And not being jealous and truly celebrating that. It's celebrating when other people notice your spouse or your kid or your friend or your coworker instead of you. It's not saying, hey, let me tell you all the things that I sacrificed so that they could get here today. That's not kindness. But it's celebrating their joy. Goodness, goodness is integrity. It means being the same person everywhere instead of a phony or a hypocrite. Saying things with kindness. Here, here's a big one. Telling the truth in love while being loving and not just telling the truth. Some of us are really good at just telling the truth. Faithfulness. You're reliable. You're counted on. You're able to keep a promise. The people around you can take it to the bank. You don't cheat on people. You don't cheat on things. You don't take the shortcut. The people closest in your life should be able to trust you and believe you. Do you know what is true of a faithful person and a, and a good person? Is the people closest in their life are most impressed by them. Because the people closest in your life know you the best. Your coworkers don't know you the best. The people that you see at school, they don't know you the best. Are the people who are, are the closest to you? Do they think the best of you? Are you faithful? Are you faithful in word, in deed, in thought? Are you faithful? Gentle. I've said before that you don't get to say, well, you know, I'm just not a gentle person, so I don't have to do this. Gentleness is not my go-to thing. If you need a hug from somebody or somebody to cry with, I'm not your guy. But that doesn't mean that I get to be like, well, I'm just not gentle. Go find somebody else. No, so on this list, this is one of the things I've had to continually grow in. I've had to continually grow in moving towards the other person and having humility and apologizing, of being calm. Gentleness is not often seen as a manly quality. But what does Paul tell us? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the ways that we know that we are in Christ. And the last one is self-control. Not impulsive, able to control your emotions, actions, desires. Having willpower over areas of your life. Not being controlled by things. Are you able to exert self-control in your life? Are you able to exert self-control? 
These are the fruit of the Spirit. These are the ways that we know we are in Christ. See, and here's the thing, too, as you look at this list. If you don't desire these things, okay, if you don't want these things to be true of you, can I just submit to you that maybe you actually aren't following Jesus and you really don't want the things of God? Okay? Because when we follow after God, we want these things to be true of us. Now, all of us want these things to be true of the other person in the relationship. Okay? We all want this in the other person. You're married. You want your spouse to have some self-control and some faithfulness. You you want your kids to be more loving. You definitely want your kids to have some self-control. Your boss, you'd really like your boss to be more gentle and good and kind. We would all love this in the other person. This sounds like a dating profile we would all go for. But Paul says, may this be true of you. This is how you know that you are in Christ, in the spirit. Now, how do you get there? How do you, how do you move? He tells us in verse 24, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so Paul tells us, as followers of Jesus, he uses this intense word. He says they have crucified the flesh. See, too many of us, when we look at the things of the flesh in verses 19 to 21, we kind of shrug our shoulders and just go, well, you know, that happened. You know, that, that's kind of who I am. That's, you know, I did it. I, you know, we shrug our shoulders to it, and then we wonder, Why is everything in my life falling apart? And Paul says that those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Meaning, a crucifixion is not easy and nice or fun. It is brutal. It is gory. There is death. And some of us know, as you have come out of some of the addictions that Paul talks about, if you've watched people come out of the addictions that Paul talks about in these verses, it is death for that person and the people around them as they are coming out of that. And Paul says they have crucified their passions and desires. And if they live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So how do you keep in step with the Spirit? It's what Paul talked about, of making sure that the, that the soil is there to grow, that the fruit is able to grow. Jesus talked about the fruit again and again. Our fruit, our works, our actions show whether or not our hearts are changed by God. So do you desire love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control? Do you desire those things? If you don't desire those things, then the first step is for you to say, am I actually following after God and do I want the things of God? And if you don't, start there. If you desire those things, how are you growing in that? How are you moving forward in that? Are you more loving and patient and peaceful, et cetera, today than you were a year ago? Don't compare yourself to the people around you. It doesn't matter how somebody else is doing. Now, in all of these sermons, this is by far like the least fun one that we're going to have. 
So let's just say, I'll just tell you together, like as your pastor and kind of as a family together, this is the least fun one. And, and, and I went back and forth about putting this one in the series. Because I really, I, I want this series to be inspirational for your future relationships and I want, I, I want it to kind of propel you forward. But the reality is, is that every single day and week as a pastor for the last 20 years, I have watched relationships destroyed. And it is heartbreaking. And it's heartbreaking when it didn't have to be that way. And, and so today, as we put this series together, I want you to know what can destroy your most important relationships. And I want you to know where it comes from. It doesn't come from outside, it comes from in us. See, these factions, divisions, strife, hatred, all of that comes from our desires to control, to be loved, to have comfort, to have power. All of it comes from that. And so as, as we close, I, I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to know what it is that you desire and what it is that you're going after and what it is that can destroy your most important relationships. And in your groups this week, I want to encourage you, talk about those things. Know that everybody sitting around that circle has something. You're not the only one. If they don't have something, they're lying. And you can, you can tell them that in the group. Tell them that Josh said you're allowed to tell them. They're lying if they don't have something. Everything on that list, every relationship we have can be destroyed by, by one of those things. And I also want you to know, though, the flip side of that coin is I want you to know what it is that actually makes relationships great. To have a vision for your future relationships. Paul gives us a vision. Imagine for a moment. Your family, your friendships, your community. Imagine if they were known for being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Imagine. Imagine if you're a father and that's what you're known as. You're a mother and that's what you're known as. You're a friend and that's what you're known as. You're a sibling and that's what you're known as. You're loving and patient and joyful and kind and faithful and self-controlling. And so as we close today, it's easy for us to sit here and think, man, I don't, I don't know how I move forward in my family. I don't know how I fix my family or I don't know how I fix my relationships. And Paul tells us that it's a battle. It's a battle that rages in you. It rages in the other person. And so we're actually going to sing a song about battles. We're going to sing a song declaring, it's a song that's really declaring, this is how I'm going to move forward. I'm going to fight the battles that's in me. I'm going to fight the battles that's in my family. I'm going to fight the things that could destroy my most important relationships. Because the last thing that I want for you is to look back six, 12 months from now, three years from now, and look back and be like, I could have changed that. I could have fixed that. 
Let's pray together. Father, I just pray right now for relationships that are hanging by a thread or just are totally gone. Got to pray for those who feel utterly hopeless in their relational worlds. Got to pray for people who need to confess some things today or this week to people that they're close to. God, you don't want any of us to live in that first list. And yet, it's where we gravitate towards. It's what, it's our natural tendency. It's our sin nature. It's what's in us. It's in us to go after what we want, to be number one, to, to push for our way. And so, God, we confess those things. We confess those things to you that, that are in us, that are true of us. And, God, we celebrate, too, the, 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 the freedom that many of us have experienced in those areas the growth that we've experienced. And God, I pray that we would desire the fruit of the Spirit. We would desire to be known as loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and self-controlled. We would desire those things. And God, I pray for those who may be sitting here today and say, I, I, I don't really want those things. God, I pray that you would grab their hearts, that you would pull them to you. And I pray that as we build our future relationships, as we build our future family, the fruit of the Spirit, may that be our guide. May a year from now, may we be more like you in those things. And so God, as we declare our desires to you today, as we declare our desire to fight the battles within us, God, we claim the promises promises of your death and resurrection of what we've already remembered in communion that we can win the battle that it's already won in you in your name amen will you stand with us as we sing together and just close and and declare this together